Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Mike Penguin Podcast. I hope you are all doing well. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, today I was just going to talk about maybe media and why I think some of it is important. Uh, but I remember in English, in a college class, uh, well, as tedious as these assignments get, <clears throat> there was a short story that I was required to, well, it wasn't a short story. They give you like a selection of short stories, but it's very odd the way they do it in English classes because they, well, it depends on the teacher, but this specific teacher wanted me to, they want you to make a really strong claim. And it's hard to make a really strong claim about a story that you really don't care about. So you, you kind of just, ha I kind of just had to find the story that I uh, disliked the least. I don't know. I kind of grew to like the story as I, you know, had to research it a little more. But it was still difficult to make a particularly bold claim about anything that happened in it. Which that then again made it hard for me to write, and then again, which made it made me not get the best grade possible. But you know that that's whatever. Because I think the real value in like really studying up on a story is like actually understanding it. But then again, that's also up for interpretation because a lot of these stories are very sometimes they're pretty vague and uh and they're. What's the word? They're pretty vague in their how they're displayed to you, how they how they portray it, you know. So, but you know, the whole point of English is like, oh, they're tr like, you know, whatever uh, point you have, try to use evidence from the text to support that claim, and that's very that's a very dangerous thing for teacher English teachers to say, specifically English teachers, because. An English teacher's job is uh they can kind of grade the paper based on however they're feeling. So if they tell you to argue a specific perspective, you know, for literary analysis, and they tell you to, you know, provide evidence for it in the text. And but but sometimes they'll they'll they want you to argue a specific perspective, but they just won't tell you that. So so you argue a perspective and then it's not the one they wanted you to argue and the, or it's one they or it's one they disagree with, and even though you provide evidence in the text for why you would believe such a thing, they'll still be like, ah, "I don't like your paper." I was like, "Okay, well, nothing I can do about that." But um, and and honestly, the only way to really know what these stories mean is just to ask the authors, because some some stories are very vague. But I think the the story I read was. I think there was a fair amount of evidence for the claim I made. And the story was uh, Araby by an author named James Joyce. And uh, the story to me was about vanity and how someone can be vain in, uh, in the things that they pursue. Like, you know, like a lot of us probably are very vain and like, how we look or how we dress or uh, the things we buy, the things we're interested in. Sometimes we only do things to impress other people, you know? And I think, I think the story Araby is really about like the emptiness that comes with that. 
like how that leads to just like nothing basically it just it leads to it's just useless in the end so the story is basically about this boy who i think it's like his brother's sister and he just like has this huge crush on her like to the point of just like ridiculous infatuation and he's he and it doesn't it, the reason it's ridiculous is because he's net well first of all it's just ridiculous because it's so over the top i mean he's he's bas- he's i mean he's only a kid right but he's exuding behaviors that like would be like stalkerish you know like of course he's a kid and that's just like sometimes kids get that way when when like like they barely they don't have any experiences so he experiences having a crush for the first time and he's like i got to know everything about or i got to you know what I mean? They, they, and he just, but he also doesn't know how to approach her, so he's watching from a distance. Or, or every interaction he has with her is like very, uh, very pro her and very like also very far away from her. We're not really connected to her. Like he, she's there, but he never really talks to her very much. His infatuation is purely based on her appearance. He doesn't really know anything about her. And uh, I think the text is clear about that and he's he's always like thinking about her i think he even like prays to her uh, or about her i think it's supposed to like represent how how far he's he's gone in this infatuation where like he's like i'm praying that he'll end up with her he's like please please you know he's pleading that and if I'm being honest, like the the s the thing I portrayed, or like the perspective that I argued for in this essay that I was forced to write by a educational program, was that uh that romance is a foolish endeavor, which is not something I really believe. But when you're writing essays for a you know, for when you're when you're obligatory, obligatorily is that a word? When you're forced to write an essay, you just you got to do what you got to do. You know, you got to start, and like, cause you know it's hard to write stuff you don't really care about. So you just got to make up a perspective and just run with it. Like you just got to. I feel like that's what journalists do sometimes. They're just like, I got to write something for the news, and uh, I don't have much time. I got to. I'll just pick. I'll just pick something and run with it. You know, whatever it is, we got to get this newspaper out. And that's how I felt writing this. I was like, man, I just got to pick something. And so my, it's pretty funny, but I I think so. But it's like my, my perspective in the, in the essay was romance is just a foolish endeavor. And that's what he's, that's what the author's trying to tell us, guys. Trust me, source, trust me, bro. I Trust me. You know, uh, I, I, I mean, clearly his, his infatuation wasn't irrational. And he, he like he literally admits that his uh his sentiments are you know pretty foolish in nature, and he admits that it makes him do like stupid stuff. I mean, and not in like the you know the cheesy like oh I'm stupid for you baby love you know <laughs> whatever that that sentiment is from people who are like oh I do stupid things for love or whatever. But I mean it is that, but it's also like he he's a child, so it's. I mean, it's never said what age he is, but he's clearly, it says he's a boy. And uh, it's not foolish as in like, you know, you make exceptions for that one person. It's foolish as in like, he's a dumb kid and he's doing dumb stuff. 
because of his emotions, you know. And he knows he's, he knows in deep down he knows what he's doing is foolish, but he just he can't stop himself from doing it. And he just keeps going down this like kind of rabbit hole of like infatuation for her. And uh, <clears throat> ultimately, it's just gonna lead him nowhere. But apparently, she she brings up something about like a affair. Or I think it's like a fair or a market called, I think it's called Araby. I think that's what the, the name of the text is named. That's where it comes from. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll go there. I'll, I'll buy you something. I think, I'm not sure if he tells her that outright. But um, I think when he hears that, he's like, oh, I'll, I'm going to and she And she can't go for whatever reason. He's like, oh, I can get her something. You know, to win her over, I guess, or something. But eventually he goes there. He's at the market. And uh he has every chance to buy something and he just doesn't. And then I think it ends with like the lights turning off and the market closing and he just stands there in the dark. Very very empty. And I feel like that's what is trying to get across is that like that vain pursuit of something is is always going to lead to emptiness, you know. Like if you don't really want, or you need to really assess if you, that's what you really want. Like people, there's plenty of people. I've heard stories of people who who go through college or go through school or go through with a program or go get a job or do this and do so, and then they'll realize like, oh, I only did that because my parents wanted me to, or I only did that because you know someone told me to do that, and now that's just what I do now, or like this job I have or this career I have or. And they're kind of like stuck where they're at. And it was all based on someone else's dream and not theirs. And, you know, that's that's kind of, I think, what it's about is like the vanity of that. And how vain he was to, to pursue buying something for this girl he didn't even really know. But he was so infatuated with. And I think when he once he gets to the market, and the market is like, it's just a regular market. Like, like uh, of course, I mean, he held this girl in such high regard that whatever she talked about had to be just like this amazing special thing, right? And he goes to the market. It's just a regular market. They're about to close. It's just, it's very regular. And I think that brings him down to earth. We're like, oh, this is real life. Like, like that's, this girl is just a normal girl. I'm just a normal guy. I, I'm going way too far with this. I need to chill out. And, and I think the way the story like gets that across is, is, uh, is pretty profound. And, um, I forget how it ends, but I think the last, I think the last, it's very, it's it's a very good ending. And I think it specifically touches on the vanity of it, of how he's just like, he feels empty after it, you know? And I feel like that. That's expressed very well, and uh, I think that's why media and stuff like that is can be very profound sometimes. Like a lot of things in media that people think are like, I think people underestimate the impact of stories and narratives, you know, and how they can affect culture and how they can affect our uh, our ideas and how we, you know, move throughout the world. 
like uh people i feel like media these days is a lot more like flashy and showy and it's a lot less uh substantive than it used to be and a lot of classics you know i mean i feel like a lot of movies coming out now where it's like these action blockbusters you know and uh and those are those are okay i mean you know but it's just not very uh it's not very deep i don't think it's not it doesn't really help us understand you know the human experience any more than it than it was when we went into it you know well, i feel like a lot of media like uh for example something i covered on the podcast 12 angry men that that is a movie about that is specifically and inherently tied to the human experience that is inseparable and i feel like that is what makes a classic is when i was talking to someone earlier earlier about this but i think a classic is something that is that is so human at its core that it that it lasts throughout the generations like that's why that's why things last like things don't last because they have good special effects or because it was a really good superhero crossover or because you know a lot of, it made a lot of money like it can make a bunch of money at the box office but no one's going to talk about it in 10 years why cuz it's not you know it's not uh what's the word i don't i don't want to say important i mean I, it probably isn't that important but there's also like there's also like the i mean i think it's important to have fun too you know like people like line to see those big blockbusters and have fun in the theater and i think i think that's like you know I think that has its own validity, but the importance of a narrative and like tying it to like the human experience and and having something that can last through generations is I feel like that's that's much more important or more uh crucial or necessary in some ways to be explored. Like Torvangu like Torvangu Men is just such a great narrative, like from start to finish. Like I mean, I already did a podcast on that, so I don't want to go too much into that again. But it's about the truth, you know. And actually, another uh, piece of media like the is the Chernobyl uh, HBO miniseries, which is something I might do an episode on later. But um, it's it's all about prioritizing the truth and what what you sacrifice when you don't prioritize the truth and I feel like that's I feel like that's gonna help a lot of people you know if like if if you can just prioritize the truth like I feel like a lot of people and I'm not gonna like act like I'm uh exempt from you know these claims but a lot of people are like are deceived by themselves because they don't prioritize truth enough like a lot of people have perspectives and things and you know and they'll they'll hold those perspectives and and sometimes you you almost like disappointed because you'll see someone uh just my speaking from personal experience you'll see someone who you thought was of uh high higher mental fortitude i guess you could say and then they'll fall for some like idea and then you'll be like what like like how did you fall for that like i thought you know you someone you think is like smarter than that or above that and then they'll fall for something and you're kind of disappointed almost like, oh, I thought you were better than that, I guess. And I'm not like, like I said, I'm not, I'm not exempt from these, these, you know, these things like I'm human too, believe it or not. But, um, yeah, these things, 
it happens a lot and you think how do they not see through that and sometimes you try to explain things to them and I don't know it just doesn't get through and uh problem of like understanding each other I think because I think I think I think if uh, some people I think it's when people are emotionally compromised that these things happen because if you prioritize truth then I think that even if something comes along that disproves what you thought was true you'll just go on with that because that because your your priority wasn't defending your belief your priority was uh, looking for truth that's why I always wonder, like, when people get into conversations, you know, some people, some people are um, sometimes very antagonistic when they approach certain situations. And to me, I always wonder, what is, what is your, what is their goal when they enter conversations like those? Like, what, what is the end goal of this conversation in your mind? Like, when you have a conversation with someone, what is the end goal? Because I feel like a lot of people get into conversations and if, and if they disagree with someone, they just kind of want to win or, or even like people who are uh, particularly antagonistic will get into a conversation and start that when it wasn't there to be like, they'll, they'll find a disagreement to, to, you know, and in a way it, it is somewhat noble that someone wants to, uh, mentally spar with you. I think that's, I'm not against, you know, mental sparring, but I think your uh what what's what's the word like your your intent and what you're doing matters because if you mentally spar with someone in the with the intent to win then i understand but at the same time it's like i feel like there's 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 bigger fish to fry in in a sense <laughs> I, I swear i've never said that in my life i just said bigger fish to fry i don't, I don't think i've ever said that in my life but um yeah i feel like i feel like when you're in a conversation with someone, I think the priori- the priority should be hopefully you come out of the conversation with more truth than you entered or with a new discovery. Hopefully you and the person you're talking to learn more from this conversation than, than what you knew before the conversation started. And I think that prioritization of truth is what's going to, you know, help you do that and help people break out of, you know, like when self-deception, like when you deceive yourself into believing something, like in the Arabic story where he he was so infatuated with this girl that he he like fooled himself into believing that he actually loved her. And then he goes to the market and he's like, oh, like that was all vain. That was all vanity. That was just, that was, you know, it was very superficial, surface level. And I feel like if he, you know, had a, I mean, he is a kid in the story. So, you know, you can't be too hard on him. But if he prioritized, you know, the truth and like, okay, how do I really feel about this girl? What do I even know about her? Like, why do, why do I feel so strongly about her? Like, she's just, she's probably just attractive. Like, she's probably just physically attractive because I don't know anything about her. I don't even know her favorite color. I don't know her favorite book. I don't know, you know, I don't know. I don't know anything about her. I don't know her friends. And if you just took a moment to sit and think, like, why do I feel so strongly about her? And then I think he would have come to the conclusion that, oh, I'm just physically attracted to her and nothing else. And, you know, that's that's the story of a lot of people. We get so wrapped up in our own ideas and our own experience that we forget that there are people around us with different experiences and different ideas and different upbringings. And 
that we don't have, we don't possess all truth. That's why I think it's so good to like have disagreements with people. Because if you both have, you know, the right intent going into it, you'll both win. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like so many people go into arguments and conversations wanting to win. And I feel like if you, if your pursuit is that of truth, you'll always win. You know what I mean? And and matter of fact, you can both win. Because if you both learn more than you did when you went into it, that's a, that's a win-win. Like, that's a win for both of you. You know? Like, like, like the whole mental sparring thing. People, you know, they, they see it as a spar. And they see it as, you know, if I don't win, I lost. And it's like, no, you can win and I can win. And we can both walk away happy. You know? It's also like, uh, specifically in the scientific field, that's where like truth is prioritized the most, I feel like. That's why the scientific method is so strong. Because it's not reliant on, you know, someone's opinion or this or that. It's just like, if there's a method you follow, and then if it can be replicated and made consistent, then it's like, okay, well, that, that at least as far as we can tell by this very strict method, that is true because it's been replicated and it's, it's been hypothesized and tested and, and different people have done the same study and came up with similar, similar results. So this is likely to be true. And things like that happen in uh, Chernobyl where people are trying to lie to save their own face. And I, there's even this one scene in Chernobyl that's very profound to me is when uh the main character this is the Chernobyl HBO miniseries by the way in case anyone's wondering but the main character <laughs> he's talking to one of the uh I forget who the, but it's like the guy who's a big shot in government I guess and he's like I think he's trying to get something done and then the gut the got the the big honcho government dude it's like, that's not how things work. We have to do this and do that. And we have to make sure that this guy, you know, is happy. And the, and, and the guy's like, is this how things work? He's like, and he, he literally, he questions his own sanity in the moment. He's, he's just so, he's so perplexed by like how, how inadequate his government is actually run. Like he, 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 he literally says, am I stupid or is this actually how things are done in the world? You know, and I feel like, <laughs> I kind of feel like everyone would feel that way if they saw how their government was run up close. They'd just be like, am I stupid or is this really how things are done? Is this really how the world works? Like this is, it's just egos and power games and and mind games and y- y'all are just all trying to manipulate each other. And this is really how, this is, this is this how things get done, really? And it would just be so disappointing, like in Araby, when they're in the market. It's just, it's just disappointing. You know, and I feel like media and films that touch on that are the ones that last, and that's why they last. It's because they're so inherently tied to the uh, human experience, like 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 these themes of truth, and that's why romance still lasts so long. Like, there's all these cheesy romances, and I always wonder why, but I also know why. 
It's because romance is like part of life. Like everyone, I mean, the continuation of the species is kind of what we do. So uh, what everything on Earth does, they they continue to survive and keep going. And for, I mean, for humans, because we're you know sentient, we we do that uniquely compared to any other organism. It's because we want to like feel attachment towards the person we procreate with. At least most of the time. And maybe that's a different conversation. But more so than other animals were like... I mean, there's some animals that will like impregnate, you know, the species and then the, the give birth and then eat the spouse. So it's like, <laughs> well, we don't do that, thankfully. But it's like more than any other organism, we want to feel like a deep sense of connection to the people we procreate with. And... And that's why I wrote, like, all this cheat, like, the Hallmark movies and all that cheesy stuff, all that ooey-gooey. That's why that stuff continues, because, I mean, it's just an inherent thing in our uh, society and how we interact with each other and how we, you know, choose to, you know, interact and procreate and all that stuff. So... You know, even though like 90% of them miss the mark and 90% of them are just like nonsense and garbage, they still end up doing relatively well simply because because of how tied it is to how we exist, basically, and how we continue to exist. But not every romance is a classic, though. Like that That's the thing about these themes, that not everything can be... It's when it's done well is when it becomes a classic. And that's why certain things and movies will continue. Like 12, I think Twelve Ring Men is very underrated. I don't hear people talk about it enough, I don't think. But it's just taking the responsibility. I, I think uh something that's really profound is uh, a concept like Spider Man. Like I think I think the I, I don't think Stan Lee really understood how profound the the character of Spider-Man is like how how profound the statement of with great power comes great responsibility like like writing that like I I'm sure it's been like meme to death like everyone's like with great power comes great and everyone's like oh yeah that line like everyone like we're all waiting for that line and we watch but we go, we go to see the Spider-Man movie and we all wait for that line right but I mean it's such a profound statement that like responsibility is what you need to take on like like being responsible and being more responsible and, and and realizing that you know if you have power you need to also have character in order to wield that power correctly and for good and i mean i haven't, I haven't really watched many interviews with stanley but i don't i don't know if he really realized how incredible that was like just that realization that like with great power comes great responsibility even though technically it's kind of like the other way around it's like you get responsibility and then like there's a lot of power that comes with that like i don't think you i don't know i don't think you i don't know if you get the power and then get the responsibility or if you're responsible and through the responsibilities that you have you obtain power like I think that can the wording of that can be mixed around a little bit, but 
that's why uh, like Into the Spider-Verse is one of my favorite movies is because you see the main character is like scared and he's not ready. And then there's also the theme of like the you no know, the other it's kind of a theme of adulthood because it's the other Spider-Man who already have come to maturity. And then they're kind of trying to teach him how to, you know, become his own person. and But they can't quite do it. And, you know, he's just not ready. And, event, and then, you know, eventually he takes his own leap of faith, as it's stated in the movie. You know, it's like you're never really ready, but you just have to jump in and jump in the fire and, you know. Just do what you can do. Regardless of what happens, you know. And that's that to me is like a powerful narrative that's gonna last, you know. Like I don't know. I, I wouldn't go as far as, as to say that uh Well, maybe I would say that Into the Spider Verse is a classic. Maybe it is a classic. I mean to me I, I enjoy it very much, but I enjoy it a lot. So I don't know if I'd say I, I think I would say it's a classic though, because just how how inherent it is to and how significant it is to that experience uh, and the themes of like it's also a theme of a, adulthood more than almost as much as responsibility and how responsibility is inherently tied into adulthood because look the older you get the more responsible you have to be and I, this sounds like a lecture you've heard your parents tell you like a thousand times right but, I mean, you get bills, you have car, you have a car insurance, you have a phone bill, you have water bill, you buy a house. Like, the more, the more, and that's also, in a way, can be in, interpreted as power, which is the whole Spider-Man thing. Like, great power comes great responsibility. Like, te- like, like, uh, me, when I was younger, I didn't particularly care about driving. I mean, I was never, like, I don't know, I was never really stoked to drive. I was never like, oh, I can't wait till I can drive, and then I'll be doing all this and all that. I never really cared that much, but then I got to drive and I was like, this is cool. This is pretty cool. You know, I can go wherever I want. I can kind of do what I want when I want. Uh, I can I can go see people. I can, you know, if I need something to grocery store, I'll just go there and pick it up myself. I don't have to, ask, I don't have to call someone or ask someone else. But with that ability is also like, oh, I got to watch for the people on the road. I got to make sure I'm, you know, driving at a reasonable speed. I got to make sure I'm watching out for the people, make sure I'm, I don't get into an accident. Make sure I have my turning signal on when I turn. Make sure, you know, because with that with that freedom and ability to go places, there's also the inherent danger of you know, you're behind a very dangerous, you're in control of a very a very dangerous machine that could harm people. So there, that's also like the power and responsibility dynamic that's going on there. And and you know, with uh, when you buy a house or an apart get an apartment, or you buy furniture or property. And all that contributes to, you know, adulthood and, and responsibility and taking that on. And, like, it's almost, I mean, I wish, the, like, there was a correlation of, like, how much you matured and how much responsibility you took on. I think those would directly correlate. And uh, I don't know if you could argue that correlation, obviously correlation doesn't always equal causation, but I think that relationship between power or power and responsibility or maturity and responsibility are are intertwined enough that you could make that uh assumption which is what Stanley pretty much did great power great responsibility 
and I mean that I feel like that's why Spider-Man is the most that's part of the reason why Spider-Man is one of the most popular superheroes is because first of all he's just like a regular guy going to school and and on top of that there's this great lesson of responsibility and 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 almost like taking on the idea of taking on responsibility is akin to being a hero And I think that's 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 something that a lot of younger people probably need to hear is that, you know, these responsibilities, like a lot of people are, are, are kind of scared to grow up. And it's like they shouldn't be. I mean, you, I feel like that's your life will be more uh, fulfilling or satisfying and meaningful if you take on more responsibility. Like, especially when people have kids, like when something is so important and you have like the more responsibility you have I, I feel like i'm repeating myself now but the more responsibility you have the more meaningful your life seems to become like when you have kids and to take care of them and to take care of the your family and you know i mean the more money like like if you equate money to power then the more money you have the more responsible you have to be with that money slash power and also the more people who are under your dominion, the more power you have, which is like your kids, I guess. Like they're under your dominion. You have to, you're, they're, you're, they're dependent to you. So then that's more power and more responsibility for you. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's just such a, it intertwines with so much of life that, that, that to me is like why Spider-Man must be the most popular, uh, at least Marvel superhero. I don't know if it's, He's probably not the most popular of... Maybe he is. I mean, people love Spider-Man from all different walks of life. And it's, I think it's because of that inherent value in the comics and in the movies and in, you know, whatever he's in. It's like that is the driving factor behind Spider-Man. Is the power and responsibility dynamic, dynamic. And also how that affects him and the people in his life. And I think that that's that's a very good idea that, like taking on responsibility is akin to being a superhero. And I think that could help a lot of people to be like, you know, it is, it's right and heroic for me to take on more responsibility and do my best to make the best of what I have, you know? And, and, and I think that's going to make life more, a lot more, uh, satisfying for people i don't think people realize that like like yeah people have issues and problems but those things are what give us meaning or gives life meaning i don't know where this is coming from this this seems like way too deep for what i thought this was going to be about <sighs> yeah welcome to the the dr phil show but um yeah I I really I didn't think it was gonna go there. I was gonna talk about movies. I mean, this is basically this is what I basically this is pretty much what I mean when I when I'm talking about movies that I I really enjoy is like things that explore these type of themes in them that are you know so important to our experience, like the theme of like understanding people and the theme of truth and like hearing people out and. You know, not being bound by the vain things that, you know, might distract you, you know, along your journey.
like in the Arabic story. Like, the, like really, that girl in the in the Arabic story was a distraction. Like, he didn't gain or achieve anything out of that experience. I mean, maybe he learned that lesson, but you know, in the end, it was he he felt like so empty after that. And I think I'll just end it there. I don't I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> but uh, if you enjoyed this, let me know. Uh, thanks for hanging with me, man. Uh, if you're still listening, if anyone's still listening, <laughs> no, I uh, I've been so busy with school, honestly. I had a I had a two mini I had, I have four classes, but two of them were mini masters, which means like instead of the four months of work, they they still give you four months of work, but they condense it into two months. So I I was basically on house arrest for two months. I couldn't really get, do much or go anywhere. And it was just working like crazy. So it's about to end. It's about to be over. So hopefully I'll I'll get back to making more episodes. And uh, just having fun, honestly. Not, you know, thinking about it too much. Just doing what I do. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I th- I'm going <laughs> to... It's kind of funny. I'm probably going to make a New Year's episode. Even though it's like... It's about to be March. But you know what? That's the point, though. It's because you don't need New Year's to change. That's... That, to me, the whole idea of, like, New Year's is kind of corny. Because it's... Yeah, it's people just like, oh, New Year, New Me. Did it? And it's like, no, that's not how that works, really. Uh you're not going to change unless you really want to change. Like you're not going to change because it's a new year or it's a new this or new that. I mean, that's why everyone already knows the statistics behind new year's resolutions are terrible because no one ever sticks to them. Cause everyone's like, everyone just feels good. They're like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, they, they, they just feel good in that moment. And they, they promise things that they can't, you know, fulfill in the end. Kind of like the Arabic story with the boy. <laughs> I'm going to do everything like that. From now on, everything is just like the Arabi story. Everything is just like that story with the boy. He's, every, everything. Everything is vanity. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do from now on. But no, I'll, yeah, I'll probably make that. And then um, maybe some psychology stuff, but we'll see. Uh, but thanks for sticking around. Uh, y'all have a good day.